Welcome, welcome, welcome to the third episode of Podigus, a podcast where we speak to the leaders of just about every kind of organization you can imagine in order to explore the impact of technology both today and in the future. I'm your host, Elsie Bean, the CEO of employee-owned Paragus Strategic IT, located in Hadley, Massachusetts, and serving the Pioneer Valley and beyond. With me today, I have Elaine McAfee. Elaine is the Executive Director of the Community Music School of Springfield, a not-for-profit organization founded in 1983 that offers music education to children of all ages. They serve more than 2,000 students annually at their Straight Street location and through their community partnership programs. Thank you, Delcy. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. To get things started, I wonder if you would start out by telling us how did you come to be involved in the Community Music School? Sure, of course. Um, yeah, so the Community Music School, as you mentioned, has been around for a long time. Um, my family moved to this area, to the Pioneer Valley, um, about uh, 20 years ago, I guess. And when we arrived here, we just loved all the parts of this community. And particularly, we were interested in what Springfield had to offer in terms of not just music, but the arts. And so my at the time, my twins were two years old. And um, so we sought out a place that we could do music with our little babies, but that we would do it in a community setting. I was really interested in sort of getting outside of the zip code thing and getting to meet folks from all over. And the community music school delivered that so beautifully. We were with families from all over. And those friendships actually stayed together. I mean, 20 years later, we watched these kids grow up, go to college, um, and some of them are back helping us out with music lessons for other young kids. So um, I went from being a parent to being uh, to being involved in the board. And then when we went through a founder transition, they asked me to just step in as an interim. Um, I came from the for-profit side, so I did not have a background in nonprofit leadership. But at that point, I was just completely in love with the faculty and the mission of the school. And um, they asked me to be an interim. So I stepped in and here I am 10 years later. Still, I, I finally gave up that interim business card and decided to just sort of you know, own the whole executive director thing. And it's been a it's been a, a beautiful, spectacular journey. Oh, good for you. So just to provide our listeners some context, because we're going to be talking a lot about technology. When it comes to tech, how savvy do you describe yourself to be? <laughs> well, again, if you ask my twins, they would say okay. not very, uh, but this year. So if you would ask me that question last before the pandemic, I think personally and organizationally, um, I am a product of my generation. So I went to school in 1983 and at the time, I took a computer science class and it was in a, the, the computers were the size of, you know, a house and it was, you know, punch cards. I mean, it was really, really old school. Um, and to see the, just how things have changed, evolved and what kind of um, capacity our young people in particular have with growing up with technology made me always very aware that if I surrounded myself with really smart people, 
we could be as successful. So I didn't have to have that capability myself. I just felt like I needed to make sure I surrounded myself with people who had that skill. So personally, still low on a scale of one to 10, I'm probably a three in terms of um, skill, but in terms of openness to the concept, this year has been a game changer or that since the pandemic, organizationally, we have embraced technology in a really profound way. And it has, it has kept us able to thrive um, by having music lessons offered remotely, which we did have, we had zero platform for that before the pandemic. And now we have about 400 students every week and about 800 in the Springfield Public Schools that we are doing remotely. So that curve is steep, my friend. It was steep, steep. But um, yeah, well, that's, it's a terrific segue because I was just going to ask, the organization has been around since 1983. To your point, you've been engaged in some way for the last 20 years, either as a parent or an employee. Over that time, I have to imagine a lot has changed. And then to your point, I'm sure the technology, the pandemic accelerated whatever was already happening. So walk us through that journey. What have you seen as it relates to change in technology during your tenure there? Yeah, it's a really important question. And um, I think if you think of so the mission of the community music school is to create um, access to the arts. So we have not just uh, uh, music lessons that we provide. We have partnerships in the public schools and that are really important um, to the, the mission of the school. But we also have a preschool of the arts. So all of these wonderful things were all based on relationships. Right? So you would you'd come, you would take a lesson or a young person, one of, you know, a child of yours might come and take a lesson. They're sitting in very close proximity to their piano teacher, their guitar teacher, and those relationships build. Many of our families come with their young kids at five or six years old and stay with us until they're um, graduating from high school. And, and so those relationships are really important and deep. Um, to think that with the, the pandemic, we couldn't do that. We couldn't be in proximity to each other. So over the course of 20 years, there has been a move towards um, remote lessons and obviously the internet making that possible, but we always valued relationships. We always had this idea that it's, it's being together where the magic happens. It's making music. I mean, musicians by definition <laughs> create music together. So I would say our trajectory for the 20 years was just to be automating our systems, right? So right. having technology change the way people signed up for lessons. They changed the way that you could access information about um, our school partnerships, which we call Sonido Musica or our adaptive music. So when information was being shared, we just followed the same curve that many other organizations did. But the profound shift happened when the pandemic hit, because suddenly with 60 faculty members, many of whom have been teaching in, in proximity to their students for their whole careers, we're told we're gonna keep teach, doing lessons, but we're gonna ask you to learn a technology, to teach in a different way. We, it required everybody to shift their thinking. And sure. I think the truth of it is if we had decided we wanted to develop a really robust virtual performance platform. I honestly don't think it we, we probably would have taken us five years to get there. Sure. 
And I'm not saying this is like good news for a pandemic because please, you know, hit the reverse button and I would like a year and a half of my life back. But given that that happened, what's interesting to me is how the community music school attacked this potentially insurmountable issue. And so, so I can kind of take you through the steps of that because that, that was sort of interesting, like how organizationally 60 very sort of reluctant people who have been doing things their same way for many years, um, a staff of six or seven of us and having everything shut down. So what we did um, was, first of all, we have, a we have a lot of our faculty who are very conversant in technology. And the first thing that one of our faculty members, or, sorry, our staff members did is go research who was providing the best platform. So right up until, um, normally people were using Zoom, right? Zoom, mm -hmm. Zoom, 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 everything. But there was some very significant limitations for, for teaching music lessons. So when we're together doing a music lesson, you know, and I stop and I point out where, you know, either you're fingering, if you're taking the piano or um, using a whiteboard or something like that, we were able to do some research and find an organization. It's a woman-run business in Pennsylvania, small startup. Um, and they had a platform that was awesome but they had scaled it yeah it's called virtue lessons and they'd been it was it was designed by a music teacher and her husband is a phd in computer science but they were they had only a couple like a hundred clients and we at the time had 600 students so we partnered with them we and we test drove it we had them practice with two or three of our faculty and it was such a game changer in terms of the way that our students could engage with the students just as a platform. And then we trained all of our faculty over the course of two months. And we have been going gangbusters since then. So it's the same teachers in the same relationship, but they're using a system that is not Zoom, not that there's anything wrong with Zoom, but it had limitations when we're trying to teach a lesson. And I think that that journey of exploring uh, what's out there, partnering, and then moving forward, training your people. We, it took us months and months of training for our faculty to get everybody ready to go. And then when school started in September, they were ready to go. So. And so tell us, what is it about this platform that makes it so well catered to what you're trying to do with the students? First, because they were a startup company, they were willing to work with us and design things around us. So the first and foremost is find the right partner, right? Um, they had, a, you know, an idea to, to grow their business but they never had had a partner to grow their business with like us. Sure. So I think the key, the key was we saw the raw ingredients of having, um, they have some, they have a system that is set up for the back and forth of lessons. So uh, it's a, they have a whiteboard, they have um, just kind of fundamentally a different uh connection between the student and uh, much, much more so than what we could do here on Zoom. And once the students got uh, comfortable with it and the faculty knew all the ways around it, we could do a deeper dive. There's sort of three levels. It was the entry level, the mid middle level, and then the really advanced level. And we offered entry level training and everybody took, all 60 faculty took it. 
And surprisingly, more than half of our faculty took the advanced training so that they could do a lot of, there's a gamified aspect of it. There's all kinds of things. Um, and mostly at the end of the day, it just gave us a chance to say, we're not asking you to be on Zoom all the time. Because a lot of our kids were on Zoom all day at school. And they just well, want to do something. That makes a lot of sense. So now that you've taken this kind of huge leap forward to your point, this really steep curve, as you look towards the next five years, how do you think that technology is going to continue to impact not only your organization, but just the music education industry in general? Yeah, it's a it's an excellent question, and I I wish I had a, a you know a, a, a yeah an ability to look into the future and tell you how it's going to shake out at the at the total level. But I'll tell you, for the music school, um, we have learned that there are ways to stay connected that we did not think were possible, and there are many things that we're going to continue to do. If you ended up moving out to California, but you loved your uh, clarinet teacher, Mary Ellen Miller. We now have a way for you to stay connected and take lessons virtually, even when we're having other people in Springfield or in the area um, take lessons locally. So that means we now have more options. And, and honestly, it kind of is a big deal for us as a business model because we have, we're downtown Springfield. We have a parking lot that has, you know, 50 parking spaces, but when it gets really busy and there's 300 kids cycling through the school with parents dropping off and picking up, the idea that some might not have to come and actually be at the school can do it uh, through virtual lessons gives us the capacity to grow our business without having the constraints of, you know, parking and studios and those kinds of things. So that's kind of an interesting dimension um, or revenue generation that we hadn't thought about before. The bigger, deeper question is how do we integrate what we've learned this year, which is that we miss each other desperately, and that <laughs> sure. and the latency issue has never been solved. I'm sorry, but no matter where we went, nobody could figure out how groups of musicians could sing together without the latency. And so it lent itself much more to um, music production. We did in the public school programming, we did a lot of music composition work this year a lot of music production work. I think people are fascinated with being able to get really good audio. Um, somebody told me the other day that it's um, as watching video, you can watch kind of not great video as long as the audio is good. <laughs> but sure. when the audio is messed up, your, your brain just says, no, thank you. And so audio production has been a, another big push for us. We really leaned into capabilities and, and teaching our young people um, so that they could also have skills and careers for the future because uh, that's really important, right? It's the building capacity of our young people to do the things, to, to let their art um, just be expressed out into the community. And so I think that's not gonna stop, frankly. I think it's accelerating. I think the um, empowerment of young people having control of their own art form and being able to put it out in the world is thrilling um, so, and we see it in the movie industry, right? What used to be you know, the large movie companies running everything. And now it's, so I think that's a, that's a very significant shift. Um, I hope that people will continue to want to be coming in to the music school to have that one-to-one -one connection. Cause there's no substitute for that for sure. 
but I absolutely think we have expanded the way that we imagine learning about technology. It, instead of it being the thing for other people, it became the essential way that all of our faculty and staff could connect with each other in a really scary time. And I'll give you one kind of sweet story. My, my niece, um, who takes piano lessons from one of our fabulous piano faculty, um, when she, her first virtual lesson, meaning like, you know, on this platform, it actually was Zoom the first couple of weeks. And my sister wasn't sure how it was going to go because she was in school virtually all week. So she thought, you know, how is this going to work? And my nine-year-old niece ran upstairs and she spent 20 minutes picking out her outfit that she was going to wear for her piano lesson because it was the best part of her week that oh, she could be connected and see Miss Marina and feel her. So I think the power of the connection this year that we knew that we need each other. And I think what happened is we expanded our thinking about what that, what those relationships look like. And I think we'll take some of that learning and we'll make sure we hold on to the stuff that worked and look forward to being back together again when we can really choose those moments of technology um, as opposed to be really beholden to the technology. Well, my next question was gonna be, in what ways do you think technology could disrupt or change the industry and the organization? And I think you've actually already started to really answer this. And it sounds like one of those missing pieces is an experience that doesn't have latency where musicians truly could play together remotely. I think we all agree that that doesn't exist today, but it sounds like if it did, it, when I'm hearing, that would further disrupt and change this ecosystem or this environment, both from education, but also just from people being able to share and play music together. A, do you agree? And B, are there other significant disruptions that you could imagine happening? I do agree. I, I absolutely agree. I think that we were hopeful in the early stages of the pandemic that somebody would figure it out. But I mean, truthfully, like it takes time for things to go from one place to another. So I don't know how, unless we have figured out how to make, you know, time travel, not a thing. Um, I, I think that is, that was the big game changer. So just think about, um, we have the children's chorus of Springfield, which had, you know, 30 young people who were part of something. And then you're about to sing together and you're in these little boxes it's just, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, the workaround was if everybody shut, you know, put their things on mute, then sang themselves in their home, they could still sing, but we couldn't capture all that. And then, you know, you know how it works. You know, everybody brought their videos in and then we could do a compilation and we could make it sound good in post-production. But that's not the same thing as what we, as, you know, musicians seek is that communication that happens by being together, and it's, and we do a lot of um, a lot of our musicians play in jazz groups, our young people and our faculty, and the whole idea of improv, right, is that it's yeah. a conversation, and so I think I I absolutely agree that um, had that been not uh, such an issue, we would have seen a lot less um, disruption around group music. 
And there's workarounds for sure. And we figured them all out. We ran an assembly at one of the Springfield public schools with 250 kids bucket drumming. Now, how in the world could you do that? If somebody said to you, Delcy, do you think you could have 250 kids do bucket drumming over Zoom? You'd be like, <laughs> not have it sound good. Sounds like a terrible idea, right? But we had our uh, Rick Marshall, who's our, our um, faculty, uh, drumming faculty, had figured out how to break the groups up and make that possible. So the kids had the experience without it sounding like a cacophonous, you know, sound. Um, But that's not the same as what happens when we get 200 kids in a room where they can be in sync with one another and they can look to their right and their left and feel the power of that community. So what further disruptions, I I think, I think that there's this idea that you can sort of Google or YouTube anything. Like I'm just going to learn the ukulele. So, you know, why would I show up? Why would I go down to the music school, park in the lot, walk in the building and go do that thing? Cause if it's, if it's just a transaction of information, we can get that. And I think what we figured out this year more than ever is that the opportunity for us to be working on something as soul feeding as music is deeply embedded in the relationships that we have. And that, that beauty of us being in a studio together, working on stuff together and having those breakthroughs and those moments. um, I don't think there's going to be ever any substitute for that personally. Um, I just hope that people don't think that um, it's the same because it's not, we navigated this year and we were able to keep those relationships but everyone's waiting to come back together to make music together. So um, future disruptions could be people just don't feel that they want to invest the time to build relationships in person. Um, I, I, I think it's quite the opposite. I, I almost think of it like the slow food movement. You know, we, I was a product of, you know, growing up in like the seventies where, you know, TV dinners were like the coolest thing. We thought like our parents were like the coolest for giving us like TV dinners and like plastic food. Um, And it got to a point where people were just like, oh, no, no, this is not good. We need to pay attention to where the food is grown and who's, you know, what we're eating and what we're putting in our bodies. And um, I'd like to think that the, the, the learning this year is that music feeds us like and, and you have a chance to learn where how to make the soil healthy, which to me is the community and how to put those seeds in. And when you start growing something and you have so much pride and 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 creativity that comes out of like nurturing something and um i think i think technology can support that but i do not think it can replace that yeah i think that makes a lot of sense so let's change gears here for a minute when it comes to technology what is your biggest fear what keeps you up at night what worries you well, one thing that worries me is one of the things that were was uh, listed as a possible question, which is this whole cyber, you know, the the, the idea of like cybersecurity. Um, when I was listening to the radio and heard that, you know, nonprofits were getting targeted, like, you know, people who could ill afford to have infrastructures of major protection. I thought to myself, now that just seems so unfair. <laughs> Because so many of the nonprofits, like our organization, we rely so much on, we do get revenue from our lessons, but it doesn't even cross the 50% of our total uh, revenue. The rest is contributed income from our community. 
um, we're having an event to raise money for scholarship and financial aid because the majority of our students have some type of financial aid to take their lesson. And so if we're spending our time raising money so that we can then give it away, the idea of having to build these amazing firewalls and infrastructure to protect us, that's, that's pretty low on my list of things I can pay for. But it's sure. high on my list of things that I worry about, just because I don't understand. Um, I don't understand why anybody would think that that's a good idea to go and you know attack organizations that can really disappear if if you know things like that. So, I, you know, that's to me is the existential threat out there. You know, like uh, you know what happens when the things that we expect every day to be there disappear. But for the most part, you know, we've had a lot of success. You know, we, we're automated with our registration system, and we've got we've had a lot of support and help in how to make sure that we have that backed up. Um, there's a lot in our community in Springfield. A lot of folks who've reached out and said we have that skill, we can help you. And um, so, I'm not worried operationally day to day. I feel like we're in really good shape. I think the bigger question that you're raising is like, what are the the, the really big threats out there. And I would say I would trust you to know more <laughs> about that than I, but it's the not knowing that I think creates anxiety for organizations like ours. It's like, how big a threat is that? And is it, I don't know, you would know that better than I, but it's seems like that, that was a, that was a little bit of a scary dynamic introduced in the last few years. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it definitely has accelerated so much in the last few years that it went from more of a, yes, hypothetically, this could happen to a really strong likelihood that just about every organization is going to face one or multiple cyber attacks in their organization's history. Um, and it is scary, and it is especially hard for nonprofits who don't have as much capacity and resource to address it. Right. Right. So kind of moving on, when we talk about technology, we usually talk about it in the lens of it makes things better, it improves things. In what situations have you found where technology actually seemed to make things worse? Yeah, I, um, you know, making things worse is, um, I think it has only been situational for us. When I think about this year, it has been times where you've gathered folks together and the internet is unstable or, um, and the level of disruption, like you're, you're ready to do the thing and you just can't do it. And it has nothing to do with your intention or your preparedness. And I think if you hold, I think we've all had that, right? And in the beginning you could make an excuse and say, oh, sorry, my internet's bad or whatever. I just noticed sure. while we were talking, my internet said you're unstable. And I was like, what? Um, but there's a point at which people just get incredibly frustrated with not being able to do the thing. And so I just, I, I think it's maybe not exactly the answer to your question, but I think it really highlights, shines a bright light on this, on the importance of supporting the digital divide as something that's real. Because if we think that everybody has the ability to do what we're doing right now, and I know people kind of catch the concept of a digital divide, but I'm telling you, if you had to, you were ready to show up to your exam and you'd worked really hard on it and you couldn't access your teacher, 
you couldn't get to your thing, or you had five people in your house that were also using things at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's profoundly unfair because it puts at a disadvantage people and, and who have no control over that. And, and it, it, it sort of, it's an equal opportunity uh, oppressor because it sure. could, you, you know, so, so I think, and I don't have any answers to that. I just can say that if we ever realized how much um, equality is embedded in technology and how we are not there, we are not close to being there. And I think that's where a lot of our energy should go. Less about like making it super awesome deluxe version <laughs> and more about if we've all experienced that frustration. And also it diminishes your enthusiasm for learning because if you've done all that preparation and you get thwarted like that it just makes you think forget it you know like and that is not what we want to be handing out in large doses to our young people across this country absolutely not yeah i would agree completely i think even beyond just our young people i think the pandemic has caused a lot of jobs to go remote and to your point earlier everybody's access to technology is not the same. And so if you're unable to do your job simply because of Wi-Fi constraints, because you've got five people trying to take Zoom classes or also work, it really, it does, I think, really shine a light on a situation and a problem that we're going to have to continue to work on as a community, as a global community, kind of however you want to think about that. Exactly. And and I have to say, there have been so many good um, good-hearted folks in this endeavor for us. Like, I just want to say, like, when, you know, we serve a lot of young people in the Springfield Public Schools and the infrastructure that the schools had put in for their own platforms that we could connect into um, made it, we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We could use the good work that they had put together. And we as partners came through their portals to do our work. So I don't want it all to sound like we, the community music school, were on this island trying to do this thing. It was quite the opposite. We were surrounded by people who said, I have, you know, what do you need? Here's what I can offer. Um, But I think fundamental to your question is, you know, what what are the limitations that are systemic that absolutely require all of our attention? And that systemic inequity, it seems like your field has an opportunity, the technology field has an enormous opportunity to lead the way and to really take this on as, as, a, as a basic right of education, of, of existence. And it's not just an education thing. You're pointing yeah. out it's an economic driver. You can't do your job if you can't, you know, if you don't have um, a good internet. Um, so there's just, I, th- I think it's a, it could be a really amazing inflection point right now. When we recognize that there's a digital divide, we recognize that building capacity, not just the, um, uh, the you know, uh, internet capacity, but skill, skill building, um, those con- that convergence of those two things, I think puts a lot, of re- a lot of opportunity into the technology field to think much more broadly about um, its, um, contribution to society and to change. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I'm sure we could probably talk about that topic alone for the next couple of hours. But my final question for you is as the ED of a very successful, but also a very important organization in the community, 
What are you doing to personally keep up with everything going on in technology? How do you feel like you've got your hands around what's happening, what's going on? That is um, important to me because I think realistically, the ability for myself as the executive director to know everything is less than I just have to make sure I have really smart people who feel really empowered, who work for me, who have a different point of view. Um, we had talked earlier about, you know, what does your team look like? Who do you want to have in the room when you are making decisions about the future? Sure. And we feel really strongly that you need to have young voices, not just the students who are in the schools, but um, across the spectrum. Our, our team has 20-somethings and 70-somethings, and everybody is sort of navigating that space together. So personally, I think that this, uh, this forum of Zoom um, group meetings, like we've had national forums where you have people from across the country, this year, more than any, people have been willing to tell you anything that's working. <laughs> so yeah. I'll put my hand up and say, you know, we're having trouble with, you know, the latency issue around our chorus program. And somebody like from California who's on this Zoom call of, um, we, we belong to the National Guild of community arts organizations. And I have never needed them more because somebody in their organization, somebody among the 250 people on the Zoom call will have had a, somebody who looked into that and found a solution and they share. So the answer, the simple answer is have a great team and make lots of friends with smart people because um, we feel like we are super fortunate that we have a great team and we have great friends. And as long as we're all heading in the same direction about what we're trying to do and willing to share anything we learn, um, I think everybody this year has felt like um, it's less a competition and more a collective endeavor to not just survive this, but to serve our, our, our community. Um, and that, requires a lot of folks who are willing to share their good ideas and problem solve. Um, and so that's that's the way that I like to keep, personally keep involved is to make sure that my team feels empowered to bring things to the fore, like they did with the virtue lessons. That was a completely unique, you know, just send people out and go do the research and figure out what might be out there in the landscape. And then to have that work, to have that one person, Rachel Rivard, be able to see uh, you know, a, a year and a half later, how that research led to practical application, which led to us as a nonprofit being able to stay, you know, relevant and 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 an anchor institution in the community. I mean, that that looks pretty good to me. That that looks like an opportunity for empowering um, our our team members to to have agency and and to you know to really help us figure out how to navigate the future. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's working. You guys have done a great job of navigating a difficult time. And to your point earlier, you had a point when you probably weren't quite as prepared as I'm sure you would have liked to have been, nope. uh, but obviously got through it. So before I let you go, uh, we're just going to take a moment and do what we call fast questions from Flat Delcy. Are you ready? I am ready. 
All right, Flat Delcy, take it away. Thanks, Delcy, and good morning, Eileen. In just a moment, I'm going to read you a series of choices. Your job is to, as quickly as possible, tell me which is your preference. You ready to go? I'm ready. Phone or Android? iPhone. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Bagels or donuts? Bagels. Tacos or burritos? Burritos. Candy or popcorn? Popcorn. Coffee or tea? Tea. Boat or plane? Plane. Drums or bass? Both. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'd be in big trouble if I picked, so I'm saying both. Passenger or driver? Driver. Ocean or lake? Ocean. And finally, Vermont or New Hampshire? <gasps> both. I have to say both, absolutely, for, for many reasons, but yes, both. <laughs> I mean, I just want to thank you so much for being our guest today. I know that I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I'm sure our audience will as well. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity, and the music school is thrilled to have you, uh, you know, be interested in our organization. So thank you, Delcy. Appreciate it.